Welcome to Give a Heck. I am your host, Dwight Heck, and for much of my life, lived my life in quiet desperation, wondering how I was going to pay the bills, take vacations, save for retirement, and one day wondering if I would get off the hamster wheel of life and have purpose. A life that most of society lives, which takes us to work, then home, then repeat, and pays us hopefully enough just to survive. The harsh truth that most live with more months than money and have no idea how to live life on purpose, not by accident. This ensures the mass majority are living not just financially broke, however emotionally and mentally as well due to financial pressures. In each episode, I will introduce you to thoughts, ideas, and guests that can help you to learn how you too can live life on purpose, not by accident. Good day and welcome to Give a Heck. On today's show, I welcome Joel Cleland. Joel serves as Centric Group's Chief Executive Officer. It is a company whose vision is to be breakthrough digital currency and be widely accepted globally. With over 20 years of diverse career experience, Joel brings an impressive track record of leadership in various industries and capacities, including finance, education, and the nonprofit philanthropic sector. Prior to joining the Centric team, Joel built and led a successful sales, marketing, and distribution agency at North America-based financial group called World Financial Group. He additionally serves as the board chair for Project Boone, a nonprofit based in Southern California. Joel's current drive and passion is with Centric, which he initially discovers as an independent investor. This allowed him to introduce a unique perspective to the executive team as he had a view from the outside well before the inside. Joel emphasizes investor education and engagement, strategic partnerships, and market cap growth as key components to expedite protocol consensus. I'd like to welcome you to the show, Joel. Thanks so much for agreeing to come on and share with us some of your life journey. I'm glad to be here. Thanks. You're welcome. Fantastic seeing you, brother. So, Joel, one of the things I like starting off with, a lot of people in the podcast world ask what people's backstory is. Well, I want so much more than that because really the backstory, people talk about what's happened for them, let's say, since they became an adult. But really, our origin from when we were a child up to us becoming an adult and to where we are today is all little stepping stones and things that developed us into who we are today. And the reason I get into the origin story is because of my passion for, you know, Star Wars and the Marvel, uh, where they start in the middle, and then later, later, they go back to the beginning, and it drives me crazy. I'd rather know the origin right away, because not everybody reads these book stories and understands the origin. So for me, it's really key to understand your origin. So tell me your origin story and what key things from your childhood to adulthood that led you to where you're at currently. I love the question, Dwight. I don't get a chance to share this story all the time, but when I was in sixth grade, I had a teacher named Mr. Phelps and Mr. Phelps was amazing. He had a, a bushy mustache and he, he was actually a stockbroker on the side. So he, he's from our stock, but he was a classroom teacher. And every morning we would read the, the New York Stock Exchange, uh, old school newspaper style. 
That's how we started every day. We'd read the stock pages. And he gave each kid in the classroom $10,000 of play money, and we could invest it. And over the course of a semester or the year, we got to see how our stocks did. But that was, that was a wonderful experience, just being in his class. But the reason I bring up Mr. Phelps is he was the first person in my orbit to get me thinking about the future. And he got all of the kids in our class thinking about our biggest dreams and where we wanted to be in life. And at that time, I thought I wanted to be a psychologist to Hollywood superstars, <laughs> help them with their therapy needs. <laughs> that was sixth grade, Joel. That's, that's what I was into. Awesome. And I started researching it and I found out through the process of looking into my dream with Mr. Phelps that I needed to go to college to be a psychologist. And nobody in my family had ever gone to college, but that was, that was the beginning of my journey. My serious journey of growth was with Mr. Phelps. And the next six years, middle school and high school, I was laser focused on going to college. And when I graduated, I was the first person in my family, both sides of the family, my mom's side and my dad's side to graduate from college. Since then, I, some of my cousins have, have finished up school. My kid brother actually graduated from, from college. And uh, one of my cousins actually has a PhD. He's running a biochem lab at a university. So I'm not going to say I had anything to do with that, but I was the first. So that's kind of where I came from. I'm, I'm excited to talk about Mr. Phelps, and I don't get to talk about it very much. So is, uh, do you still communicate with him? You know what? I got to be honest, Dwight, I lost track of him. It's probably been over 30 years, and I, I'm not even sure Mr. Phelps is alive. I haven't, I've never tried to look you know, reach out to him. That, that would be an interesting side project for me <laughs> is trying to reconnect with him. Like I said, I, I mean, he, he, he seemed older when I was a kid. So we just, we just don't know. Yeah. It's amazing though, how I should, one person, I should, I should one person, I would, I would check him out. Um, I see. I, it's amazing how one person can make a, a change in our life. I've had a few different teachers within my life my biggest influence was a, was my uh, science religion teacher. Mm. I went through. I went to a Catholic school um, in grade seven, Mr. McIntyre, and I actually know where he's he's at. He's still alive. He's in his uh, uh, late seventies, early eighties now, living in my hometown still because I uh, I live in Edmonton, uh, as the listeners know. But he had a stroke a few years back, and now he doesn't remember me. But I'd see him and church when I'd go home to see my folks. And I let him know. I actually told him probably 20 some years ago how much he meant to me and how much he had changed my life and give me hope because I was a sickly kid. I had severe asthma. I ended up getting diagnosed in grade nine with scoliosis. And he was very compassionate to my health issues. And he drove me for my love for science and he drove me to he was probably the first I think you're the first person I've ever told this to actually you are and he actually drove me to be a better listener now that I think back on it he was the one that used to when we'd have religion classes he'd say hey what happened in the homily what did the priest talk about on Sunday and I wanted to please him so bad 
because I was a sickly kid and I just wanted to be loved and liked just like we all do. And he always showed this compassion and caring for me. So I'd intentionally listen better in church instead of being that kid that would be dozing off or goofing around, right? So, you know. When do we get the donuts? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, thank you for sharing that because not too many people share the fact that there was a, a teacher that, you know, changed their thought process at, at such a young age. And, you know, teachers that are listening, you're pretty, yeah. Teachers are, you're appreciated, right? You really, really are. There's bad seeds in every profession and industry, but I'm here to tell you that I've had more good experiences with the education, like teachers supporting me than bad. So thank you so much for that. Of course. So you initially started out as an insurance representative for the Knights of Columbus and did this for almost 10 yeah. years. I, I myself, did. yeah, I myself had an opportunity more than once to work for them as well. However, made a decision to stay the course because I'd already planned out what I wanted and it just didn't fit my niche. What was your biggest takeaway working for the Knights and how did it help you in your next journey working with WFG? Mm -hmm. That's a great question, Dwight. My initial experiences with the Knights of Columbus was as a member of the fraternity. And when I started with the Knights of Columbus, I was actually a music director for a parish in Pomona, California. Wow. I coordinated choirs. I was a certified cantor. Well, technically, I'm still a certified cantor. But one morning before mass, uh, before the 7.30 a.m. mass, father came up to me and he, he, I was sitting at the piano kind of getting ready. And he said, Joel, I want you to help me start a Knights of Columbus Council here at St. Madeline. And I told him, Father, I'm not a member of the Knights of Columbus. <laughs> and he said, oh, no problem, Joel. We'll take care of that. <laughs> and so, I, so I said, okay, whatever. And I just, I wouldn't say I complied, but I was along for the ride for like a couple of years in the fraternity and doing works of service, which has always been important to me. And I've always been in and around education as a teacher, and I was working in education and also uh, an MD for, for the parish. And over that couple of year time, I got reached out to by my local field agent for the Knights of Columbus a couple of times and took care of some things that Peggy and I needed for our family. And we, we ended up reaching out to them at some point because I was tired of the grind in, in the education space. And I just asked Jim, who was my agent at the time, said, Jim, how do you do what you do? I always say, if you bring that up with somebody who's a professional, be prepared for the answer because you never know what it's going to be. Don't ask the question if you don't want the answer. <laughs> so yeah. I asked him, how do, you, how do you do what you do? And, and he basically said, well, you got to get a license for, for where, we, where we work in our state. And you need to connect with the agency and have some conversations with them. And after that, I shared what he shared with me with my wife and I sent a resume to their home base in Connecticut and they reached out to me and we started a relationship. And that, that was my initial experience in financial services was with the Knights of Columbus. And the only thing that pulled me away from the Knights because it is a captive agency was that I was looking to kind of expand myself. And because we were captive, we could only sell Knights products and we can only work within that market. So that's why I, I ended up leaving after 10 years, <clears throat> but I had, <clears throat> excuse me, I had many, many great experiences with the Knights of Columbus. Oh yeah. I, I'm a knight myself. Um, I still a practicing Catholic, 
Um, you know, and I looked at it, I've talked to him, I sat down with, with the local representative for our area because we have multiple ones. And I want a city of 1.2 million people, you have more than one rep. Sure. Um, so, you know, I understood that, but that's the thing that turned me off was the captive side of it. Not just the fact that I could only sell to knights and their families, um, you know, and the Catholic Catholic people, but it bothered me the fact that there was they were pigeonholing what I could offer people because I had already started researching, and I had already gotten a license before they re, before I sat down with somebody and I said, "Well, can you do this and this?" No, we can't. And I said, "Well, that's too bad. It's unfortunate." And that person ended up leaving themselves because they they felt the same need like you said to expand their horizons but they're great they're great they're a great organization but they are a great organization oh absolutely i would say probably within the first two to three years working for the casey's i i ended up just kind of looking around and taking in taking in the financial landscape and that you hit the nail right on the head dwight uh the offerings just weren't there and there were just things that i wanted to be able to make available to my clients and you know, as I, as I expanded my own understanding of the space, that's, that's how you and I got to know each other. Cause I, yeah. I, I joined the company you were with. Yeah. But yeah. I, you know what I say, Dwight is Mr. Phelps is the reason you and I know each other. You know what? And that's <laughs> Isn't that crazy. And, and even Mr. McIntyre for me, because if he yeah. wouldn't have helped me develop some confidence and belief in myself, I would have never be where I am. So you're right. They, awesome. It's so important, but yeah. So t- for the listeners, in life, if you're not happy where you're at and you feel like you're on a hamster wheel of going to work, go home, get paid and doing the same thing over and over again, there's hope. There's always ways to step outside of yourself and expand. Joel's done it. I've done it. I've reinvented myself numerous times, even in the last year. My listeners know that, right? I've done tremendous 360 in the last 12 months. So good for you. I appreciate that. And I, and I asked that question because I do have huge respect for the Knights of Columbus, but I wanted to see if it was the same reason why I didn't decide to work for them, if it was the same for you, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of families. So if it wasn't for the Knights, that would have been devastated in in the tragedies they've gone through. So kudos to those that are listening that are part of the, the, you know, Knights of Columbus or the church or any any company where you do and you serve and you give people products and services that you know change their lives whether it's right now or it's something you serve and change for them now that helps them in the future kudos to you to anybody that's out there in service and sales can i share something about that sure absolutely i'd love to hear it so one of the things that happened uh when i became an independent broker uh, with the company that Dwight and I are with is I got a chance to look at a variety of companies because I was no longer captive. And it's interesting because I gravitated toward companies that are like the Knights of Columbus. They put families first, they put local communities first. And it's, it's amazing because I've got about four or five companies out of the two dozen that I'm appointed with where I feel like when I go do business with them and, and offer their solutions to clients that it's almost like I'm providing the same spirit of the Knights of Columbus to take care of families and communities. So it's, it, it's it was a stepping stone for you, right? Definitely. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. And just like friendships and other things in life, we're not always necessarily designed to be 
beside the person or product or company our whole lives, right? Some people are, they get, they get, you know, their, their complacency is something they're, they're satisfied with. And yeah, just so that listeners know, because you said I'm not with WFG, I used to be. Um, so just as, so that they understand, because it, some of them are probably just heard you say that and we're going, what? We got to be careful, right? When we're in yeah. the public. Yeah. So no problem. It's not a big deal. I just got to, you know, as a CEO, that. I've already figured that out in the last five weeks. Yeah. So <laughs> I've, you know, public. <laughs> there was lots of great things I learned from that company, but, um, yeah. you know, I learned a lot. I, I, they were a stepping stone and I advanced well above what they taught me, just like you from the nights to where you are now right? Let's be real. It's a stepping stone. There's nothing wrong with that. It's no disrespect to any company. It's just a matter that sometimes in life, we are climbers. We're not campers. We may have temporary points in our life, you and I, where we've camped, but we feel uneasy. We don't feel like we're, we're just, we're the type of people you and I believe that we just constantly need to, I'm, see, for me, my, one of my five love languages, which is my favorite book, is words of affirmation, right? Mm, and I yeah. and I like, and if I'm not getting words of affirmation or giving them out because I give out as much as I get, and I found I get stagnant because I used to be an IT professional, consultant, computer consultant prior to the finance, and I've already been in the finance world. This is going into my 19th year now. Um, it's just awesome dealing with people. Right. With what you're with, with you being with WFG and then with centric, look at all the things and all the people that you're going to, now you've just added another layer to the people you can serve and you're, you're going to touch people in a way that you probably already imagine in the sense of um, that information is going to flow to others to flow to others. And you were the spider that created the web and, you know, good for you. Right. It's just the connections you're going to continue to make because of what you've, and you had to step out on faith. Listeners realize oh, Joel yeah. had to take, he had to take a chance. He had to take a shot to get where he's at. And, and, you know, kudos to him for leap stepping out on faith for everybody's behalf, including his family, because when you serve others and with an honest, sincere heart, you always get served back, right? It's just the way life goes. It's a circle, right? So, um, um, Joel, I know you believe in an emphasize investor education and engagement, what do you believe is the biggest roadblock in regards to investor education? And what have you done to bridge this barrier? I believe there's a lot of mythology in the marketplace and there's a lot of partial truths in the marketplace. Just like in financial services for new professionals in the space, there's a learning curve. There's also a learning curve for investors. And one of the things that I believe is helpful is to give people the best information. And I don't think my only job is dispelling myths in the marketplace. I believe I'm supposed to bring the best information to the marketplace. And I, I think that I get a chance to do that every day. That's awesome. I love that best information to marketplace. And, you know, you're the first person I've heard say, you know, the learning curves there, for agents, mm-hmm. but yes, it's there for investors Definitely. more so that more so than anything, because they're, we're not educated in the education system properly. Um, 
they find out information by Googling it, watching videos, and it's always slanted to somebody's opinion. It's not completely factual. Sometimes they a phone number at the end. They call the <laughs> advice, right? <laughs> they try to catch catch people that way. Yeah, I'm not going to call people for that, but. <laughs> well, no, neither am I. But there's not any genuine appreciation and empathy for the lost um lost i don't know how to put it where, where the investors are just they're people that want to be investors want to be investors or are current investors don't have a clue what they're doing mm-hmm. and they're tr- totally putting their trust in somebody else and until it works or it doesn't work mm-hmm. and unfortunately a lot of the people i've sat down with you know, especially in the 60s plus, and they thought their system was in place. They invested once and just, you know, whatever reason they thought that, oh, everything would just be okay. Because somebody told them it would be, so they lived on a hamster wheel for 30, yeah, 30, 40 years of their life. They're living on a hamster wheel and they find out in the harsh reality that they have to continue to work or they can't retire at the level they thought they could. It just crushes me. So you're right. There is a huge learning curve for investors. So kudos to you. For realizing that and putting in that effort. So what is the biggest pitfall to someone starting to invest, even though they now have been educated? So you've educated somebody. What's the, what do you think is the biggest pitfall? Why they don't start? Right. Well, obviously the educators, the professionals have to build rapport. And if, if people trust the information that, that they're receiving, there's, there's normally two types of people I say in that space that are going to eventually invest. They're the people who invest right away because it makes sense. And then there's people like me <laughs> and probably you, Dwight, where we, we sit on the sideline for a period of time because we're just not sure. And like in the space I'm currently in, I was on the sideline for three to four years because it just didn't resonate with me. And of course, I'm talking about crypto. It just didn't resonate with me. Still, a few things clicked for me. And I thought, oh, is that how it works? Because I believe that there's a lot of people that are have rose-colored glasses on. I would say probably most most of the public does. And I do to a certain extent as well. Like you, you know, I try to always see the good in people. And sometimes that's a little Pollyanna-ish, if you will. Exactly. At the end of the day we need more information. We, we're not just going to throw money at everything because a lot of times the people who are the most amorous immediately at an investment, sometimes they cool off. Really fast. Have you seen that? Yes, They're absolutely. Then they call you like 48 hours later and say, you know what? I've changed my mind <laughs> or what have you. But for, for me, I, I think that the people who kind of take a little bit more time to decide on paths forward, whether it's their biggest dreams or the solutions to get them where they want to go, they tend to make the best decisions on that. I, don't know I, love, I love that. I love but that. That's, that's what I've seen. And, you know, I pass on investments all the time just because they either don't make sense to me. And I think that's probably why some people don't advance right away is because it just doesn't click for them or they have other priorities. The delivery, the, the delivery can be bad too, though. I'm sorry. Like you said, you already mentioned that the delivery could be bad, right? The person delivering the message is, you know, let's realize that sales or service is delivery hundred percent. Like you said, you just have to build a better rapport. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I, like I said, in the last five weeks, little trial by fire, but it's been fun. I've done a lot of speaking in public and it's interesting how your words get received because oh. people don't always hear what you're trying to share. They watch your body language. They listen to your tonality. I, and I educate and coach people on this for a long time and just don't realize it. If you don't have that proper poker face when they're telling you something that's uncomfortable for you about their lives or, or their uncomfortableness about let's use crypto investing, whatever. And, and you say the wrong one word and you don't even realize it. And that's the trigger in their mind to them making a decision a week later, month later, and you lose them. Or never and, making a decision. You're yeah. So, right. and, and being a wordsmith is something that I talked about on, uh, what day was it? I had an interview this week. Somebody interviewed me on a podcast and I said, wordsmithing is the biggest thing that I work on now to say there, because I always taught my kids, you know, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And, you know, the listeners, honestly, you can have a, Joel and I could be in a room and go up and say the exact same speech. I deliver it one way with vocal variety and tonality and body language. Joel does the same thing, but a different way. And there's going to be people in that audience that will hear the message differently from both of us. Yet the information was the same because Identical. they were right. sold on me, not on the information. Mm -hmm. Right. Once they're sold on me, then, and then they're more apt to absorb the information through notes or reach out to me or look for people similar to me to be educated. So rapport right. is so important. Relationships are so important, right? And, I love and not that. every customer is your customer. That's something I had to get over at, some, at, at one point. And I still do because I want to help everybody. Oh, me too, <laughs> brother. It hurts right here some days. It does. But, you know, sometimes you just kind of have to let them go past you and be like, okay, this, this person's not going to be in relationship with me. And in the greater sense, it's not necessarily a sales relationship or a business relationship. It could be a personal relationship. Not everyone's going to be in a personal relationship with you. And we have to be okay with that. It's like we're, we're building our tribe, right, Dwight? Absolutely, brother. And you're part of mine and I'm blessed to be part of yours. Right. You. you know, for the listeners, I think the first time Joel and I ever experienced each other, we, we hit it off. There was just some chemistry there. Yeah. Right? I sensed your energy when we met in Las Vegas that one time. Yeah. yeah so I like this person. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm blessed and highly favored to, you know, have God shine down on me when I pray for good associations and connections. It happens. Sometimes God's telling me bad connection and I don't listen, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I have admired for the last couple of years, your hard work and dedication to your work with the nonprofit organization, Project Boone. Can you tell the listeners exactly what Project Boone is and how you got involved? Absolutely. I love Project Boone. We actually had our second board meeting of the year yesterday. So we have, we have monthly board meetings on the first Wednesday of the month. And this is an amazing organization. It's been around since 2011. The word boon is a Thai word that means the greater good or the, or the benefit one receives from doing good work. And so the word boon actually means good. 
or the greater good. And our, one of our co-founders, Chris, was actually at a retreat. It was a spiritual retreat about 15 or 16 years ago. And one of the facilitators used the word boon. And he thought, boon, boon, boon. What is that? That sounds so amazing to me. <laughs> the word resonated with him. And so he started researching it. And he ended up buying uh, the URL for Project Boon because he thought Project Boon is going to be something someday. And this is before Project Boon was an organization. He and his he and his wife uh, Karina are very successful entrepreneurs, kind of like kind of like we are. I like to think we're pretty successful entrepreneurs, but they they had a lot of success in business, and they they both have big hearts to give back, and they wanted to find a way to do that. And so Project Boon was born to give back to local communities. What it has grown into, it has grown into a connector. Again, like you and me, Dwight, Project Boone as an organization is a connecting organization. We're not off looking for, for public grants or large grants. We're looking to put other nonprofits together with these grants because we get so much private money at Project Boone. We're, we do want grants, but we're not looking for those. And we really, we really support who we call our strategic partners, whether they're on the for-profit side or the nonprofit side. But just to give your listeners just a real brief kind of 50,000 foot view of what Project Boone is, and then I'll kind of highlight briefly on what I do for Project Boone. Basically, we roll out holiday-based events. And pre-pandemic, it was great because we were doing seven to 10 holiday-based events a year. When, when, the, when the pandemic hit last March, everything came to a screeching halt. We were developing some major, major relationships uh, in several sectors at that time and everything came to a screeching halt. And, you know, we kind of wallowed in our self-pity for a couple of weeks, walking around, you know, with the Eeyore cloud over the top. And we're like, oh, you know, we're not going to be yeah. doing it next year. And then we said, okay, let's reset. And what was the word from last year, 2020, Dwight? Pivot. <laughs> Even nonprofit groups either pivoted or they didn't. And a lot of them dried up as well, or they just sat on the sidelines all year. And how did we pivot? We connected with the county, um, the county health department. We looked at what the CDC was saying could be done and not be done. And we said, okay, well, what can we do? And, and they said, well, if you can partner with a restaurant that has a drive-through, you can do drive-through events. And so we had, I think we had five successful drive-through events last year and we gave out 20,000 meals. Wow. And this is for people who are food insecure, a lot of underserved families in Southern California. And initially, our first big event was on Easter Sunday. Isn't that cool? Resurrection. And here's Project Boone again, being resurrected, helping the community. And we gave out Easter baskets and groceries. Uh, toilet paper was a hot item in the, in the drive-thru, as well as many other things. But people were just so touched that there was an organization there. And the cars were around the block. I mean, I think we had six or 700 cars that first day. It was just wow. That is uh, fast forward to Mother's Day, we had another really successful event. I recommended to the team, hey, why don't we give out roses to the cars, to all the moms? And so we had we had little buckets and little carts of roses going up and down the lines, passing them out. And uh, one, lady, one lady came up to one of our workers. She didn't share with me, but she said, no one has ever given me a rose on Mother's Day. Thank wow. you, Project. Thank you. Um, and it's just amazing because even some of the people that were benefiting through Project Boone are actually becoming volunteers. That's, that's another really interesting development because we're really a volunteer organization that is also a connector in both the business and nonprofit world. And for people who are interested in looking us up, we're at projectboon.org and that's B-O-O-N, N as in Nancy, not M, like boom, kaboom, 
So projectboon.org and you know, look up and see what we're doing because we're, we're making connections all over the world. We have connections in other countries, Vietnam and Haiti, which also had to be on, put on hold during the pandemic. We had a lot of large impact work down in Mexico, uh, Jalisco, Mexico, but we've had to put that on hold as well due to the pandemic, but we're looking to, to move internationally. We are regional right now, but we're also moving into other parts of the US and there's a lot of big things in store for Project Boone uh, in the coming years, I believe. But just to let people know, like, how did I get into the organization? Um, initially, I was I was just a giver. My wife Peggy and I would give at Christmas time and different times of the year. We drop off toys and things and canned goods and things. And um, 2014, I believe it was, or 2015, the organization reached out to me because I'm also a musician. And they said, Joel, hey, can you bring a like a rock cover band down to one of our events? And I said, hmm, I think I can do that because I had access to a few musicians here and there and, and a couple cover bands I played with. And so I brought down a band and played for five or six years before the pandemic hit every year at a couple of different events. And then just little by little, I became more involved with the organization as a volunteer. And and then they asked me to sit on the board and I became the board chair within about three or four weeks took over things. And I'm actually coming up on my 23 months as board chair next month. So wow. I'll be stepping, stepping down because of my new position yeah. <laughs> outside of Project Boone <laughs> that's uh, dominating a lot of my time. But we, we, we love when people connect with us. Once you hit our website, you can, you can sign up on the email list. We don't, we don't send out spam, but we do try to send out monthly updates so people know what we're doing. And no matter where you're in, at in the world, we want you to be a part of the Project Boone family. Right on. I'll make sure that uh, projectboon.com, right? I'll make sure it's that org. that... It's a .org. .org? Yes. Okay. Yep. I'll make sure that goes into the show notes as well so Thanks, that people boy. can look it up on my website um, where, the, you know, my podcast part of my website has... A, sure. will be, you'll be in there along with the show notes. So, right. And the next question I was going to ask about you sharing a story or two, how Project Boon has changed your life as well as those it serves. Well, you brought up the story of the Rose with the Mother's Day event, which that just is so touching. And, you know, people doing it on Easter Sunday, cars lined up around the corner. So it's obviously has changed your life and has changed others already or you wouldn't be still doing it. Um, so kudos right. to you. That's, you know, that's what's funny to me, Dwight, is it's all, I, I'm always curious about the people who do lots and lots of work for no money. Because those, yeah. those are the kind of people I want to associate with. Yeah, they give more than they receive. Yeah. Exactly, 100%. I think it's great when we're compensated for taking care of people, but when we're not compensated for taking care of people, it's because we generally care. Yeah, but, you know, gain monetary wise or society is very materialistic but you know the emotional and you know gratification uh, you know the mental emotional gratification and even the physical gratification that we can get by serving others because what i mean by physical people giving you hugs because you've made their day giving you a high five shaking your hand complimenting you saying things to you it's just life is so much more than just serving to get money right? Yes, we need money to live. There's nothing wrong with that. But the other satisfaction and, and results we can get is amazing. So many people just do not think for themselves, you've stated this, it was in regret in regard to fast food experience you had at Taco Bell. 
However, oh after, however, after reading that, I felt a further dive into your thoughts on this was warranted. Why do you think this is a case that people struggle to think for themselves? Most people are afraid. I think most of the problems people have in their lives is because of fear or because of compliance, which is also related to fear, in my opinion, fear and control. I don't need to get into it about the pandemic. People have their feelings on the subject. But I, I think most people, like we were talking about dissatisfaction earlier in the show, Dwight, and you, you and I have been dissatisfied at different points of our life that has propelled us to go into new ventures and try new things. And even though we're afraid at times, we won't let the fear stop us from growing. And I think most people, even, you know, the six inches between their ears is, is the toughest space for most people to kind of get out of. It's like, get out of your head and get into the real world, challenge yourself. And I, I think most people who have a difficult time integrating new information, you know, sometimes it's prejudice, could be, or, you know, what, what is ignorance? I mean, it, it, ignorance is, is the inability to integrate new information and new things. And it's like, okay, that, I'm now knowing that in a new way. Maybe it hasn't totally changed my opinion, but now I know that in a new way, or now I understand this in a new way, and I can appreciate something in a new way or someone in a new way or an organization in a new way because organizations can rebrand too oh, and cool. I, I think at the end of the day people have to decide if they're going to live in fear or if they're going to try to bring on the whole rainbow of human existence all the colors and and integrate those into their life i i i prefer to throw caution to the wind shall we so to speak and start integrating information and get uncomfortable get upset yeah. I, I think it's okay to get uncomfortable and upset when you're introduced to new things or things in a new way but it helps us grow we just don't remain upset it's kind of like the conversation of can or can't they're both powerful words aren't they absolutely and some people some people live so much of their life in can't that they never even conceive of what they can do or how they can grow or who they can be. They stop feeding their brains and they become, yeah, a robot. They basically go to yeah, work for one, get paid. Yeah, they're, they're, they just, talking about. yeah. And I wrote about that in my book and I talk about it all the time and people will look at me well, what do you mean by that? Well, you've ever watched a hamster on a wheel? What's its existence? It runs in the wheel, gets off, eats, does its bathroom business in the wood in the wood shavings, gets back on, it sleeps a little bit, gets back in the wheel. Right? That's that's living a life on a hamster wheel. You go to work, go home, get paid. So I, I like I like that, you know. Ignorance is though, you know, and the, the biggest thing is though, is once people do accept knowledge. And then they still stick where they're at. You know, fear can be part of that, but then they'll still go out and complain and bitch and not do anything. They right. go from ignorance to stupidity because now they know right. there's a better way, yet they choose not to do it or still portray the same message that they have told their families and themselves for so long. They're stuck in a rut. And it's just, it, it's soul crushing. I just it wish. Is. I wish that we could reach more people, you and I, and everybody that's listening. I wish you could as well. We just got to have one person at a time. And like that spider I talked about earlier, hopefully you can be that web effect of a spider where it goes everywhere and you don't even realize 
how many people you've touched just because you served others and wanted to take them out of that fear, that compliance you talked about, take them past their ignorance of not knowing, teach them there's possibility and then support them to increase that, right? That belief. In I think that's huge is, is the term community has always been important to me. I think you remember when we were first starting hanging out, one of my favorite hashtags was others first, hashtag yeah. others, first. hashtag community just that concept where nobody wins alone and nobody does something great by themselves. They may have a great idea, but implementation happens in a community, happens in a tribe, it happens with an army. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a concept in the Bible, Joel's army. <laughs> Maybe Joel's building an army, I don't know. I don't know what God has for me. I'm just trying to do the next thing, trying to be faithful every day trying to be faithful. Lord, am I living my best life right now in this moment? Yeah. In this week, in this year, am I am I living my best op option? Am I living my best life? Am I putting my best foot forward? Am I trying my best? We're never going to be perfect. No. But if we're trying trying to be our best every day, my goodness, that's when amazing things happen. Absolutely. Because by trying to do that same thing every day, but and we're not talking about the hamster wheel anymore. It's like, hey, I'm trying to be the best that I can be every day, best I can do every day. I, I think if I wasn't focused on that, I wouldn't be anywhere near where I am today. 100%. Yeah. My, my decisions to be the best that Joel can be lead me forward and make me who I am. We all have that opportunity. Yeah. I, when I was 32, I went to see a cardiologist. He told me I had the heart of an 85-year-old. He said, what's the hell, what the hell aren't you doing, Joel? That's what the doctor said to me. Wow. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm not as active as I used to be. He said, you need to get your ass off the damn couch. I said, okay, doc. <laughs> and so he gave me a list of things to do. He said, you got to be active. You got to eat right. You got to sleep right. So what kind of bed do you sleep on? Over the next two years, that was the only thing that Peggy and I changed was our bed. We got a better bed. And you know what? Almost all of my problems got corrected because wow. we had better sleep. Isn't that crazy? It is now, crazy. I've Actually. decided to integrate eating and exercise and things along the way, hydration, more spirituality along the way. And that that obviously helps. It's it's the whole thing. People, you don't give up on yourself or, or just settle. It's like, okay, well, I fixed this. So now I'm not going to try to get better. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. So, Mr. Joel, I understand you have a passion for music. What do you play, sing, combo of both? How has music helped you in your life? Because you spoke a little bit about playing for Project Boone events, like five or six, I think you said, or five mm -hmm. or six years. But what is it, you know, do you just play? Do you sing? Do you do both? And what has it done for your life? Well, I, I've, done, I've done both for many, many, many years. I started playing piano when I was four years old and got into brass instruments in elementary school. And I always say music has helped me like, like Mr. Phelps helped me, so has music. It's kept me on the path that I'm supposed to be on, I believe. My, my leadership expanded. I was the president of the band when I was in high school. I actually was a 17 year old kid moving about with a bunch of adults that was the only student on a panel that helped uh, elect and bring in our new band director for the school. Wow. And so I had that experience, you know, in my teens. And I've always had these 
opportunities that have come my way to serve in a leadership capacity. And I, I say that music is kind of like oxygen and music is like gardening. I'm not gonna talk about the oxygen part, but I will talk about the gardening part. People who don't garden for money, <laughs> they do it because they enjoy it. It relaxes them. And they, they, they find that gardening is therapeutic. All the toxins go down into the soil. They talk to the plants and the plants talk back in their own way. I see music the same way. Sometimes I'll sit down at the piano and just start playing and I just start relaxing. I feel like I'm at a health spa when I'm sitting at the piano. You play piano? I play piano. Yeah, I played piano the longest technically because it was the first instrument I was exposed to. But I play guitar. Um, I play, started playing trumpet in college because uh, there weren't a lot of French horns in rock bands. So, um, so uh, but French horn was my initial instrument, but I started playing trumpet because of the, uh, the R&B rock and pop groups that I would play with. But I've, I've played a lot of instruments and I've had a lot of amazing experiences. I have recording experience. I still record periodically. There's a band called The Eddies that actually had me in the studio a few times over the last couple of years. One, one, a couple of the songs I play on, play trumpet on are being broadcast in the UK and a couple of other places wow. as well. But so, I, so I'm still active as a musician, not as much as I used to be, but I, I, I still use it as a way to be grounded to escape relax. though it's an escapism too exactly 100 percent. and that's awesome i think it's very healthy and i think it's, it's something that people can integrate at any time through their lives uh, a gentleman from our stock he's actually in his late 70s now but when he retired from the knights of columbus as an as an agent on the insurance side he picked up violin and guitar and he was in his 60s and he's pretty good. He's pretty good. But the thing is, is he, he, he never played an instrument before that. And I always like to share that story because a lot of times people say that they're too old. You've heard that one, Dwight. Oh, I'm too old. I'm like, old dog, old. new tricks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm too old to learn something new. And my thoughts are, we're never too old to learn something new. Until I'm, until I'm gone, materially speaking, I always want to be learning something new. And it's interesting because I had um, one of my choir members, she passed away a few years ago, but she, she was in my, I, I would say that she was in my, uh, my traditional choir back at St. Madeline, but she was wonderful. And um, Fran, Fran is her name, but she, she and my choir, I always say that they were all like uh, one to two generations older than me <laughs> in that particular choir. It's a great, beautiful group. And Every once in a while, I would bring in some new music for the group to learn. And when I would do it periodically, I would, I would crack jokes a lot. I always crack jokes with the people that I'm, I'm friendly with. And one, one morning, I brought in some new sheet music and I said, just understand, guys, this is good to stave off Alzheimer's. <laughs> they all start laughing and laughing and laughing. I said, you're learning something new. It's good for your brain. So, That's so awesome. are you learning something new to, because it's good for your brain or just because you want to integrate something new, you're, you're, you want to have a fruitful life. You want to, you know, be high on life, so to speak. I highly encourage it. And learning a new, new instrument or even an instrument for the first time is not out of the realm of possibilities for you. For anybody. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for anybody. Exactly. So, you know, I, music can emphasize our emotional state good and bad unfortunately society uses it a lot to 
it, these movies the same way, TV, books, they read depressing crap, watch depressing crap because they're depressed instead of watching things that can elevate their state. So right. that's impressive. So do you sing too? Like, are you a big singer? Or are you? I said I'm a certified cantor. Yeah. I guess there are some certified but, cantors but, that sing but, well. But, but you, I've been told that's, I have a very fine, fine instrument. I'm oh, a that's, second, second tenor. I'm a so, second oh, tenor. Okay. Oh, you are? To a certain extent. You know, ACDC is a little bit high for me. Sting is is in the rafters for me. But what about I, Peter I, Gabriel? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I can you nail. Should be able to knock off Peter as a tenor. Yeah, yeah, but I, I think I can nail most of that. But the uh, the the lower stuff like baritone uh, voice I can do as well because I'm kind of right in between first tenor and baritone. Wow, so right I'd tenor. love to hear you. I think I've got a pretty fine instrument. I've been told as much. Well, I assumed you, can, you did, but it, it got to ask. Recordings would be online, and actually, actually, my buddy Sean, who I've worked with for over two decades, he and I've done we we I, I call them the pandemic sessions, but you can find them on YouTube. Sean Hall Guitar H A L L Guitar. Sean Hall Guitar is his YouTube channel, and there's a whole section with Joel and Sean. And if people want to hear me sing, especially my current instrument or my current voice. You can you can hear me singing on um, on YouTube and Facebook. That's awesome. I, I have a lot of lot of recordings over the years, Dwight, um, as BGVs, you know, background vocals, as well as as well as singing lead. So, wow, I'm not I'm not afraid. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, obviously, we know that, or you wouldn't continue to, you know, evolve and climb in life and and pivot. That, that 2020 so, word. <laughs> that's right. So silly. Challenging so, times. Yeah. <laughs> Challenging times. So, Joel, what would you say in your life are some things that you wish you had done better on the road to where you're at currently? Excellent question. The loaded one. I would have to say uh, spending more time learning languages and learning how to be understanding of others. I think I would have moved faster. I, um, I'm currently doing some NLP training, just as personal, but it's, it's gonna help me in other areas, I know. And one of the things that came out of a workshop I was in a couple of weeks ago was that I still judge. I still judge others. And that was something where I like, I wanna I want get rid of this because I love people. I love people so much, but all of us has judgment in the background. I would say that's a pretty, pretty good statement to make is most people have judgment somewhere, in there, somewhere in the background. And we're either judging that person because they're not doing well as well as we are, or they're doing something that we think is inappropriate, or we just don't agree with them. So we're going to judge. And for me, I'm like, I just want to get rid of that. I just, I, I, that's not a vibration I want moving through my being. And because I love people and, and that kind of came to the surface too, because love is one of my core values, truth, embracing truth and facts. That's another core value. So truth and facts and love and then community. And so for me, kind of rising above that and being like, you know what, I can let this go. Am I perfect? No way. No freaking way. Am I, am I perfect? I'm never going to be, but I can get better in that department where I can embrace anybody anywhere at any time and just bring them in and share that love and that communal love with them, that they have a connection. Right on. 
Yeah. And, you know, you're right. We all have some form of judgment of others. And the more we give that up, the more we free ourselves because judgment of others is a mental anchor, a, a huge mental anchor. Huge. And it slows us back down. It affects not just our mental health, it affects our physical health. A lot of our health issues in our society today is because we hang on to all that anger, resentment, judge others, and it re reduces our resistance and we are more susceptible to sickness, disease, right? So exactly. I, appreciate, I appreciate that response. So Joel, if you had to give our listeners one last closing message, what would you tell them in regards to giving a heck and never giving up? <laughs> I love it. Don't give up before the miracles happen. That's it. That's all I've got. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I'm just writing that down. That's, you know, short and concise. Yeah, that's short and concise, but it's true. And that's the biggest thing. I like that because we can expand on that people will not realize that they'll get frustrated. One, two, three, five years it can take to get where we need to get and they quit and right around the corner was their first success or their right. first triumph, their first victory. And they three quit. Feet, three feet from gold. Yeah. And then a lot of it has to do with their lack of proper associations because if you're frustrated and you talk to like you and I would be communicating and I say something to you, I did a vlog on it yesterday, actually. I want my daily video log that I did yesterday. I talked about the fact that we as a, as a society um, need to speak things out loud because it's not necessarily that we, that I need Joel's opinion. Your opinion might matter to me, but what it is is when we speak it out loud, instead of just thinking it, our brain takes it more serious, right? It does. It takes what we're thinking out loud to somebody. And then obviously if the opinion's good or advice is good, it helps us culminate our thought process to come up with a, a you know, our critical thinking process gives us an answer then. Sometimes it might be days, could be weeks. So I like that. Don't give up before miracles happen. Too many people give up. And a lot of times though, in my experience, they give up because of the lack of proper associations or lack or the associations they have just suck all right let's be True. real let's right be honest about that. yeah we don't have to judge them no no but we we can always promote better associations exactly you can leave them in the rearview mirror important leave them in the rearview mirror right and realize don't look back on the people that you used to judge or you might still but you can displace that judgment and realize and focus on what good things that you get from that relationship or that person because there had to have been something initially that connected you to them and focus mm -hmm. on the good dispel the negative they're part of on. the journey you have to appreciate that yeah exactly lo love everybody that works exactly it's, it's the best energy exactly love so while our time is almost up and I want to respect our listeners and your time, however, before we end, can you please tell the listeners what's the best way to reach you? Thank you, Dwight. And again, thank you for having me on the program today. I, I loved being on. The best way to get a hold of Joel Cleland is at Real Cleland on Twitter, at Real Cleland on Twitter. I do have accounts with LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram as well. So if you want to connect with me there you can but at real cleland on twitter is the best way i'll make sure that Thanks. goes in the show notes um yeah i see you i don't 
I don't have a lot of exposure. I hardly got any followers. I post to Twitter, but I've never, I don't know what I can't seem to get traction on it, but I see you posting all the time on it, which is refreshing. So I know I see you on that platform. Well, more you, than and I are, you and I are connected on Twitter. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But very few people, I can post things and get no traction yet on Instagram. I get tons. Facebook, I get tons. Um, LinkedIn, I get tons, but Twitter, I don't know. It's just, but so I'm glad it works for you. And it works for a lot of my friends. I have a lot of friends. I just, uh, I don't know, maybe I started too late. <laughs> Who knows, but I'll make sure all this info. <laughs> yeah. We just got to figure it out. Right. Yeah. Right? yeah. Oh, I've been trying, I've been trying to post every day and get consistent with it, but I will make sure this goes all in the show notes and I'll make sure that that's at the top of it for a way to communicate with you. you so so you're welcome. So thanks so much for being on Give a Heck, Joel. I appreciate your time and sharing some of your experiences so that others too can learn it is never too late to give a heck. Thank you for taking time out of your day and listening to Give a Heck. If you find value, I'd appreciate you sharing with your friends and family so they too can learn how to live life on purpose, not by accident. So you do not miss the next episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and please also post a review. I look forward to reading your comments. This has been Dwight Heck. If you want to check out other podcast episodes or today's show notes, please check out my website, giveaheck.com. And until next time, together let us all strive to give a heck.